We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Willers getting booking the guests. In the newsroom, Donna Weeks and Dave Woodard. What? The Buffalo Bills are out of the playoffs? What do we do now? Just sit around and wait for health care reform? Here's Scott Thompson! <laughs> Poor Will's having computer issues. Curdy blew, blew a tire on the last lap there, man. All right, here we are. Uh, Bob Dylan, why? Uh, number 15 on Billboard's Top 200 Greatest Singers of All Time is released in the new year. Still no Celine Dion, though. All right, that's where we are. Good afternoon. Uh, it's uh, Hamilton today. Great to have you here. And a very exciting day that the uh, Prime Minister and the whole posse is in town. Do we know where they're staying? Is they Because they were looking for places to stay. We got some billets. Uh, so we're good there. Um, uh, walking around Lock Street earlier today, went to the Burnt Tongue. Burnt Tongue, one of those great restaurants that uh, supply soup during um, uh, Living Rock's uh, 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 soup fest that comes every February, coming up very soon, January, actually. Um, so, or is it back to February this year? I should shut up right now. Uh, but anyway, so strolling around and, uh, you know, meeting the folk and that sort of thing. So it's great to see. And of course, you know that, uh, because this puts Hamilton on the map. I don't, well, I shouldn't say I don't care if the Prime Minister's here, because we're really trying to get an interview with them. Honest, we are. Seriously, and stop laughing. We, and we're having a poll. I'm going to read some of these. Uh, what do you think the chances are of the Prime Minister coming on this show? Now, we should already tell you. Ricky's got the touchdown, man. He's got the touchdown and conversion. And uh, the interview's tomorrow, 7.30 on uh, Good Morning Hamilton. There you go. So we're hoping for some sloppy seconds, which is always fine. And, <laughs> and you know, when you're hungry, you're hungry. So uh, yesterday we asked this on text, 905-645-3221. Like, what do you think the chances are of the prime minister coming on the show? Now, we knew he'd come on the station, and he's he's got an interview with Rick tomorrow. Um, but, you know, coming on our show. And we got everything from, well, as soon as he goes on Roy Green, la, 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 la. And then, of course, there was the belly laughs that we heard uh, continuously. So um, I'm, I'm just, I've got these up now. So um, here's, uh, and I told you to text, yes or no. Or you can send us a note or anything. Or, or just say yes or no, Whether and then we'll take all the yeses and the noes at the end of it all. And, and we'll draw and we'll try to come up with a winner. Has anybody cleared this with promotions? Has anybody cleared this with the legal department? <laughs> anyway, so yesterday uh, you texted us and we're very excited about that. Uh, and, and here's the first answer. Anchorman. Oh, no, I think that's Radley's. <clears throat> All right. Uh, please. So this is the question is, do you think he'll come on with me? Please let us know well in advance so we can arrange to hold him hostage wrapped up end to end in our doubled gas bills. <laughs> well, uh, I thought texting would be shorter. Um, yes, no, you know. Uh, yes, Trudeau will, as he likes drama, and your show is fun drama. <laughs> I love it. Um, will the PM appear on Scott's show and then an upside down uh, face? So I'll take that as a no. Um, and someone else writes, no. Who would want that? Well, I think my boss would be happy if I got him on, you know. 
Uh, I don't think so. So Justin will say he is sorry, LOL. The only show, show he would ever be on uh, would be another one. Uh, this is Andy. He says yes. Um, yeah, and it goes on from there. So it's quite funny. So we're going to keep that open. So yes or no, that's all we need from you. <laughs> and, and whether you think it will happen or not. All right. That being said, the prime minister is in town and he has brought gifts. And uh, the only issue we have is he's put Omar uh, Al-Gabra, the transportation minister, in charge of handing them out. And, you know, if you've seen any antics at the airport, I don't know how good we feel about that. Um, but anyway, here's what the transport minister had to say at Hamilton Airport today, which is getting a, like, huge $24 million uh, advancement to help the cargo and the supply chain. Here, listen to the transport minister. Building a stronger and move on more resilient supply chain will in turn deliver affordable goods to Canadians faster, combat inflation, and build an economy that works for everyone. And uh, on, on the project and what it will bling, uh, bring. And the bling. This project, which will cost close to $47 million, will allow the airport to handle increased cargo operations by improving and expanding airfield capacity, increase the icing capacity, and build new and independent road to reduce congestion. And here's the vice president of the Hamilton Airport on what this means in, in, in jobs and everything. The project will add 460 construction jobs, an additional 1,830 full-time jobs, and support the airport reaching $2.1 billion in total ac economic activity annually. So there you have it. So great news, because uh, when they come, they come bearing gifts. They just can't show up. You know, what do you think of that? Aunt Nancy always at least brings a pie. So, um, yeah. So $24 million to help uh, the cargo uh, uh, be more efficient at the airport. So, again, the transportation minister at the airport earlier today talking about all of that. Um, one question that he couldn't answer, and he had absolutely no idea uh, what was going on, was when asked why uh, the prime minister's posse and everybody's all here, but their baggage is in Calgary. That's, hang on. No, that's not accurate. That's not accurate. That was, wait, I'm sorry, that was humor. That's what, that's what that was there. All right, uh, we'll be monitoring the visit and uh, still extending the invitation for the Prime Minister to come on the show. The only question I want to ask him is why he doesn't see the business case for clean Canadian liquid natural gas when all of our allies are asking for it. That's all I want to ask. That's the only question I want to ask. Anyway, Rick's going to get her done tomorrow, 7.30 a.m. on uh, Good, or just after the 7.30 a.m. news uh, on Good Morning Hamilton. So uh, tune in for that. All right, what do we got going here uh lots going on including more about uh the prime minister and stopping in around lock street we're going to talk to their bia can't get the prime minister we're going to get the next best thing coming up in just a sec erskine booking the guests trying to get the prime minister on uh no luck uh rick already got him but we're, we're still going to try like we're not just going to roll over on this we're going to try because there's you know there's lots of different angles to an interview and lots of different um you know things we can ask it just doesn't all have to be what your um you know, business case for Canadian liquid natural gas doesn't have to be all that stuff. Um, you know, where are you staying? What are you eating? We know he was at the Burnt Tongue today on Lock Street, saw that. Um, you know, is there a piano bar in the hotel you can sing at? You know, there's all kinds of stuff you can add. You just don't have to 
you know, the political stuff. All right. Uh, that being said, uh, the Prime Minister was doing a walkabout on Lock Street today with Philomena Tassi while in the city for the Cabinet retreat. Uh, and uh, anywhere, he's, he's been seen. You can see him all over social media, uh, touring Lock and such. So uh, as we continue to pursue an interview with the Prime Minister, we just ha- what we're going to do is just try to get everybody else who he's come in contact with or has any sort of brush with greatness with so can kind of tell us what it's like and capture the you see where i'm going with this so let's bring in tracy mckinnon executive director of lock street bia she is with us now tracy thank you for the time i hope you're doing well i am thank you very much happy new year happy new year to you too are you still see, feeling the buzz of trudeau mania i am there's lots of buzz on lock street today yes absolutely. so what so what happened what can you tell us did you see him so I actually didn't see him. I've been on a bunch of meetings, but uh, lots of people have uh, seen him and were quite happy. And as you said, he went to the Burnt Tongue. So that's a very popular spot on Lock. So it was quite exciting on Lock Street today. So you didn't, um, uh, Are you? do you think you're going to get to meet him or is he come and gone? That's it. It's done and locks over. Uh, I'm still hoping. Well, he is in Hamilton for a couple more yeah. days. So I'm hoping well, he might to be, yes, he, run into him. He might be coming back to the Burnt Tongue. It's a great restaurant. So I can see him yes. coming in and out of there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so so uh, what does this do to have the prime minister stroll down Lock Street. I mean, uh, clearly not enough to get you out of a meeting, Tracy. I'm just kidding. I really am. Sorry, but no, I'll tell what, my no, boss. no, no. You should. You should have all I been should. standing down on the street to greet him. Tell him I said that. Yes, um, I will. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, what does this mean when the prime minister like just does a walkabout through uh, your BIA like this? I mean, Lock Street, all, all you know, already a gem. We all know that. But boy, this has got to certainly help. It's very exciting when, sure, the Prime Minister of Canada strolls down your street. Uh, it's great just to see that that he and Philomena Tassi like to highlight the small businesses in Hamilton. And even the fact that they chose the whole cabinet to come to Hamilton, that's great. And then on top of that, to be, to be chosen as a, a spot that he'd like to go have some soup, which is the greatest soup in town. Yeah. So it's very exciting and, and you just can't buy publicity like that. Do you actually see an uptake in, in places like this? Because, you know, I mean, the prime minister's a hip guy and, and Lock Street's a hip street. And I mean, you know, it's got lots of cool, neat things, trendy things there and such. Uh, do you actually see the, res- you know, the response of this? Just, you know, uh, again, not the first time uh, that, you know, uh, the, uh, Lock Street has got attention, of course. But do, do you see it in an uptake and just buzz on social media and, and p- just general interest in the area? Absolutely. Even from I was actually there when when Trudeau came uh, to the West Town when he was running yeah. for leader, so like yeah. ten years ago, and people still talk about that. So it's it's great that he uh, remembered us, and uh, he likes to highlight. What we really like is that the highlight of the uh, local small businesses because we are still coming out of a pandemic and uh, local small businesses still need uh, awareness uh, and any sort of publicity helps. It does get people talking, especially somebody like Trudeau, even coming to Hamilton and all the cabinet ministers really coming Mm. to Hamilton, spending time discussing issues that are near and dear to uh, Hamiltonians. So it's very good to see. So, Tracy, give us a quick report on Lock Street, where it is, like you said, uh, coming out of where we are with this global pandemic or wherever you want to call it. Uh, talk about this year and Lock and, 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 and what you're seeing. 
Sure, we are seeing a lot more people uh, all through the pandemic and continuing supporting local. So that's great to see people really recognized how important it is that the local small businesses, they're the ones employing uh, new people, they're employing students, employing a lot of uh, locals. And so people recognize that spending more money to, at your local businesses is so important. And then so we've done, the, uh, especially last year, we started our new Sundays Unlocked. So it was bringing more people to the street just to enjoy just to enjoy the area. We've got great restaurants, great patios. We added a lot of live music this year and we're going to continue that because we just want people to get out and be refreshed and enjoy the outdoors and really support local small business. So we've got lots happening all this year. So we hope to see you guys soon. We need a piano bar because, yes. you know, maybe you could like just go into song. There's a piano yeah. bar at the Sheridan, right? There's a piano in the Sheridan. So, yeah. So maybe, yeah. you know, we'll get a sing song going on, something like that. Yeah. All right. Always, we have we have three three music stores. So we've got a lot of music <laughs> and we're going to have more we, live music on the street. So we got pianos, guitars, whatever you need. We, got it we can lot. easily set something up just like that. I know we can. Yeah. Locke can make it happen. Look what, you know, I mean, look at the uh, industrious nature of Locke. We can always make it happen. All right. right. Tracy McKinnon, Executive Director with the Locke Street Bay, uh, BIA. Very excited today because the Prime minister paid a visit and did a walkabout through uh, Lock Street and such, which can never hurt. Tracy, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Have fun. Thank you, Scott. We appreciate your time and uh, having us on to chat. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Let's focus on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and where that is going heading into a long, cold winter. We certainly know of the energy situations, or situation rather, and and what Europe is having to deal with as a result of all of this. Uh, Now there's lots of chatter about tanks. What is the story? Uh, What is the reasoning for sending or not sending? Let's bring in Dr. Lubomir Luchek. Uh, professor with the Royal Military College of Canada and with us now. Lubomir, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thank you, Scott. So talk, give us a bit of an update on the, on the situation with the tanks. How critical is this decision and, and, and where are we with the decision on whether to send these or not? Well, I wish I could answer that uh, with a positive uh, remark, but I'm afraid things are not looking good. The the main battle tank that Ukraine needs is known as the Leopard 2. It's produced by Germany, and there are about 2,000, a little over 2,000 of them actually uh, deployed across Europe in countries as far removed as Finland and Spain and uh, Poland, uh, Turkey, and so on. Um, the Germans, as the builders of these main battle tanks, have the right to sell them, of course. They also have the right to refuse to let a country to ship them onto a third country. So basically, there's right. an agreement, a licensing agreement that prohibits any country that has a leopard tank from giving it to another country. So although there is a coalition of countries in, in the Baltic states and Poland and so on that want to provide main battle tanks to Ukraine, and certainly Ukraine has been calling for them, crying for them, begging for them for months now. Uh, the Germans have basically decided not to give their permission. Although there was a little bit of movement yesterday, the German foreign minister uh, said that while they wouldn't object or it wouldn't prevent Poland, for example, from sending main battle tanks, to which the Poles, I think, properly replied, well, we're going to send them anyway, whether you like it or not. Um, but 
the, the problem is it's it's causing a little bit of confusion. In the meantime, Ukrainians are dying. Um, I can only say that Chancellor Schultz from Germany has, in a sense, given President Zelensky of Ukraine the Judas kiss. He sort of betrayed him. Uh, Germans have talked a lot about being supporters of liberal democracy and a rules-based international order and all that. Uh, they're, they're big on their green movement. But when it came down to it, they basically sold Ukraine down the tube for um, you know gas and oil at cheap prices from the Russian Federation mm. and from the regime of Vladimir Putin, the KGB man in the Kremlin. Um, that may budge, that may change, and if it does change, good, because you know, the second part of your question, what do they need these main battle tanks for? Well, they need them to drive the Russian invaders out of occupied Ukrainian territory. That is what victory will look like. Uh, the removal of the Russian invaders from all of the occupied territories of Ukraine, starting with the Crimea in 2014, and of course, now in the eastern oblasts of Ukraine. The invader has to be removed. Ukraine didn't start this war, but Ukraine will finish it. And to do that, it needs the weapons uh, that are there in Europe and could change the tide of battlefield. Um, you know, the United Kingdom has provided a squadron of Challenger tanks. These are great tanks, but there's 14 of them. Um, people have talked about the United States sending Abrams tanks. These are remarkable weapons, but um, they're high maintenance. Uh, and getting them there and putting them in there in, you know, 12, 14, 15, that, that's not going to do anything. You need to have several hundred Leopard 2 tanks to make a, dis a decisive difference on the battlefield. Those tanks are in Europe. They are available. They can be maintained. They can, the Ukrainians know how to use them or can learn quickly. And that would really turn the tide of battle. It would show Russia that the price of aggression uh, is is failure, is is defeat. Um, but as I say, where where is the U where where is the U.S. and the U.K. on this? You said the U.K. was going to send other uh, other tanks. Yeah, is, the is U.K. That, has is that all they have? And, challengers. These are great. And tanks, where's the and, and where's the U tanks? Won't change it. And, and where's the U.S. on this? The United States has said, look, um, there are there's not a single Abrams tank in Europe right now, not one, right? right? So you've got to get them from the United States to Europe. They run on on, as I recall, jet fuel. So they don't they're not easily maintained. These are right. very powerful weapons, but they're I won't say they're delicate because they're tanks, but they are they're high maintenance. Let's put it that way. Right. Uh, whereas the Leopard is battle proven and there and they're in large numbers and stockpiled and available and could be in, you know, in Ukrainian hands within a matter of days. And Ukrainians could be fighting those tanks in a matter of weeks. Uh, so what reasons is Germany giving for not giving approval for these? Um, and I, I believe they have said they're worried this is going to escalate things uh, beyond pullback. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, you know, and I, I listen to that and I go, escalate to what? To yeah. where the Russians are lobbing thousand pound uh, warheads at residential buildings in places like Dnipro. They're committing war crimes on a daily basis. And the Germans are afraid of escalation. What, does anyone really think that Putin's going to send a missile towards Berlin? I don't think so. What escalation are they talking about? Um, you know, Putin is not going to use a nuclear warhead. He's been told very clearly that if he does, he's dead. So the reality So why is, would Germany, no why would Germany, why would Germany, under pressure, at least from from allies, not be willing to do this? Um, because at the end of the day, obviously, with help, as you mentioned, Ukraine can win this. Uh, what yeah. is that? And when do we get to that point? What has to well, be? Well, I, I think, as I said at the beginning, there seems to be a little bit of a crack. Uh, 
Foreign Minister Baybach, uh, sorry, I may be mispronouncing her name, said yesterday that Germany wouldn't object to Poland sending uh, leopard tanks. Poland said, well, we'll do it anyway, but we want to get right. a coalition of countries together. So, you know, it seems like there's some movement here, but this is slow. And you have to remember that every single day, yeah. Ukrainians are dying on the front lines for want of the kinds of weapons they need. They are dying because they don't have uh, anti-missile defense def systems that are adequate or enough of them. I mean, they're getting Patriot missile systems now. They're getting things, but it's all in dribs and drabs. It's not how you win a war. I mean, again, wonderful that Great Britain has said, we'll send you these Challenger tanks. But if you've got, say, 14 Challenger tanks and you've got them in a tank park, you have to maintain them. So you have to have specialists that deal with Challengers. Then if you send Leopards, that's not the same tank. It requires different maintenance, right? And then if, and if someone sent Abrams, that's a whole different thing. So what's the point of feeding in tiny numbers of tanks that can't do what needs to be done? You need to have I think the the military experts agree somewhere in the order of 300 to 500 Leopard 2 tanks available. And that would not deplete the stocks of Germany. In fact, ironically, I think Spain has more Leopard 2 tanks than Germany does, even though Germany builds them. So, you know, they could be made available. It wouldn't risk a thing on the part of Europe to give these to the Ukrainians who would then use them to free their country from the invaders. I mean, it... I, I think there's still widespread support for Ukraine, as there should be, defending itself against Russian fascism, against this genocidal agenda of Mr. Putin and his Confederates. But good Lord, do we have to watch them die every day? Um, mm. Because, you know, I do know people are getting tired of watching people die. It's not pleasant. It's depressing. Dr. Lubomir Luchik with us, Professor of Royal Military College of Canada, talking about the tank uh, issue and giving Ukraine what it needs to do more than just survive. Lubomir, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thank you, Scott. You too. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. The great thing about having the Prime Minister come to town is that usually they come bringing gifts which is always cool. And uh, earlier today, uh, the Minister of Transport uh, and a whole pile of other dignitaries up at the airport, John C. Monroe Hamilton International Airport, and uh, unveiled a $23 million, $23.5 million um, uh, announcement of investments and such to, to help with supply chain issues and just continuing to grow this airport as one of the largest, if not the largest, cargo airports in Canada. Let's bring in Cole Horncastle, Executive Managing Director, John, uh, sorry, of John C. Monroe Airport. And with us now, Cole, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks. And sorry, I guess I'm the substitution for the prime minister right now. No, well, you know, we're doing, <laughs> so what we're doing, Cole, we're chasing the prime minister. And if we, we don't get the prime minister, we're trying to get everybody, whoever, whoever he, we ever talked to or had sort of six degrees of separation <laughs> with anything to get, you know, uh, close to it all. So obviously a big announcement today. It's always cool when someone comes to town and, and, and is uh, bearing gifts. Talk about what happened with the airport today. Yeah, well, great, great, uh, great news from the airport today. What an exciting day it was, uh, not only for us Hamiltonians, but for for all Canadians, really. The John C. Monroe Hamilton National Airport is a strategic global gateway in the National Trade Corridor. We're the third largest cargo airport in Canada, along with being the fastest growing cargo airport in Canada. So it's, it's a, it, we're really a hub in the, in the national 
trade corridor here. So that being said, it's important for us as an airport to be one step ahead of our stakeholders' growth plans to ensure that we have the airport infrastructure in place so that we can deliver those just-in-time goods across the country. This announcement today will do just that. This two-year, $46.9 million gateway expansion of sustainability project will not only strengthen and expand our airfield um, and our deacing capacity, We'll also construct a dedicated roadway for cargo operations and alleviate the constraints that are being experienced uh, on our domestic and international trade at the moment. So to get into that project, just to give a little background, a lot of it will be strengthening our aprons, our taxi lanes and our taxiways to alleviate some of those constraints that we're seeing today um, as some of our stakeholders uh, grow their fleets and increase their aircraft sizes. This will also help reduce delays by constructing a new dedicated service road parallel to a major taxiway um, and then lastly, this is the big piece here. It's going to allow us to expand our apron. Um, we're going to increase our airfield and de-icing capacity by increasing our common use gates by 125% um, just for gate capacity and 250% for de-icing. What that um, comes down to, that's about five new gates for the, uh, the airport, about 32 thousand square meters of new pavement that will be in place at the airport. So just great news. So I, I said 23, but that's other stuff. This is $47 million. Uh, is this largely towards uh, cargo-related uh, flights and such, or are these sorts of things that will benefit all transport at the airport? Definitely the, the NTCF, the National Trade Corridor Fund, is geared more towards the cargo aspect of the, of the airport here. Um, it does focus on the the national trade corridor. That being said, is is whenever we have an investment like this, there's definitely benefits to all users. Um, more mm. surface area just means more area for for airplanes to go and park. So yeah. definitely benefits to for all. But you know, definitely the focus of this application was on cargo, how fast we're growing, um, and just making sure that when we get the new types of aircraft coming in, such as a seven seven seven, which we are expecting later on this year, that we're ready to handle it. And how how much of an advantage is it to have two airports, whether it's Toronto and Hamilton, in such close proximity with one that does specifically uh, cargo? I mean, that just seems it, it just makes so much sense. You know, there's always a, a good argument uh, around for primary and secondary airports in large communities. And, you know, we're in an area here that's basically the largest area in all of Canada. Um, the Hamilton International Airport has you know great uh uh, abilities to, to do things that Pearson can't because of different yeah. aspects of, of, you know, our passenger traffic patterns on that. So at our airport, we have the benefit of being uh, an airport with no restrictions and can operate 24 seven. So our cargo partners really like that aspect of our business and that's why they choose Hamilton. Very cool. All right. So, Cole, as you know, we're chasing the prime minister. Uh, so any inside information you can give us, believe me, no one's listening. I, can't, I won't tell anybody. Uh, is there uh, many of us have thought that maybe the prime minister is just even flying in and out of Hamilton Airport every night. Is that the case? Do you know that? Have you seen a jet park there? Can you tell us? Can you send someone out to look around, you know, see if he's just hanging out? Is he flying in and out of the airport? Do you know? <laughs> well, you know, I can't tell you right now. I know he has flown in out of Hamilton in the past, but uh, yeah, I, no idea at the moment. <laughs> all right, all right. It's not, it's not Davos up there yet. All right, Cole. Thanks so much. Congratulations on all this. Moving forward.
Thanks a lot. Uh, Cole Horncastle with its executive managing director, John C. Monroe Airport in the hammer, a uh, big cargo airport and huge expansion, $47 million uh, from the federal government as a little bit of a, a little rival gift when they show up at the front door to have a little um, retreat here. There you go. Okay, so uh, obviously we're chasing the prime minister. I didn't get the interview or haven't got it yet. And sort of following up with people who have had a brush with greatness with the prime minister and, and trying to figure out, you know, what he's doing, where he's going. He was at the Burt Tongue having a little uh, soup earlier on today. Uh, so anyway, Will, do you got that number? I think we know where he's staying. Will, do you have, do you have a, can you give me a phone line and dial that number that I said? Okay. Shh. We're calling where we think the prime minister is staying. <clears throat> Shh. He just awards. Thank you for coming, Charles Hansel. How may I assist you? Is this the Sheridan Hamilton? Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm Scott Thompson from 900 CHML. Okay, sir. How may I, help I was you? just I was just wondering by chance if you could put me through to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's suite. Um, unfortunately, I cannot do that, sir. Uh, but he is staying there. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But but unfortunately, can you put us through to a secretary to the prime minister's uh, suite or anything I like that? Don't have anyone right now. Just give me a second. Just one second. Okay. Because he could be staying under another name. I was told he wasn't even there. I think we're going to go around in a phone zone now. We are calling... Wait a sec. The Prime Minister has found the piano bar at the Sheridan. Sheridan Hamilton Hotel. Uh, currently, I'm not available at the desk. Please leave your name and number and a brief message. I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Thank you. Please wait for the tone to leave your okay. message. For personal assistance, press zero. Hi, I was wondering if I could get more ice. No, no. Uh, it's Scott Thompson from 900 CHML Radio in Hamilton, and we were just hoping that you could put us through to the Prime Minister's suite. Uh, we understand that he was saying he is staying there. You can call us back at any time, 905-645-3221. Uh, we are looking uh, to see... Uh, well, actually, I guess you're confirmed he is there, but if we could talk to uh, perhaps a secretary or the Prime Minister or get him if he's not in the tub or anything, and, um, and and we also wanted to know if there's a piano bar, if there's a piano bar available, and um, and if the prime minister will be, do, he'll be doing any concerts um, like he was overseas there. If you could please call us back and and help us out, um, it is Roy Green at nine zero five six four five three two two one. Thank you. You can hang up, Will. Okay, so you know what. There he is. There's the Prime Minister. He's found the piano at the Sheridan Hotel. He's putting a show on now. Come one, come all. Sound like Colonel Tom in the Elvis movie. <clears throat> so I think we're on to something here because nobody would tell where he was. I kind of got a hint through my sources, a tip, 
a tip through my sources. He was at the Sheridan, and uh, I and I think the person at the front desk, in fact, confirmed that. Although she would not put me through to the pr- presidential. I'm sorry, the prime minister, <laughs> prime, the prime minister suite. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Lisa Marie Presley, uh, daughter of Elvis Presley, remember during funeral services on Sunday. And, you know, I um, I, I probably wasn't really going to talk about any of this. Um, but anyway, um, then you sort of see the guests listen at the funeral and you think, wow, this is almost as bizarre as watching, uh, you know, Colonel Tom Parker work. Um, let's bring in Eric Alper, publicist and music commentator. He is with us now. Eric. Thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, but I have the RCMP officers outside of my door asking about you. <laughs> what should I tell them? I'll never forget, Eric. You'll get a kick out of this. I'm working with Jesse and Jean in Toronto. Uh, Madonna's in town. Somebody gets a name, phones a big hotel and said, can we speak to Honey West? And she answers the phone. Oh, we need to do a segment <laughs> on fake names that artists go under. Yeah, yeah. We, we yeah, you must have all those stories. Yeah, yeah. With Paul McCartney going under Johnny Ramone and and yeah. Yeah. That's and, hilarious. Uh, yeah, that's now wait a sec. Um, you're not supposed to yeah. you're not supposed to pick famous names, are you? <laughs> well, I think Honey West is a stripper, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't wouldn't know. know. But no, yes. yeah, me neither. All right. So what are your thoughts yeah. on this funeral? I mean, Axel Rose, Alanis Morissette was there. Um, what are your thoughts? It's just it's as bizarre Sarah, as the whole story. Sarah is. Ferguson was there. Yeah. You know, uh, the, the, I mean, wild. Um, I guess we should start at the top that, you know, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that came from all over America and Canada. In fact, there was a lot of people coming in from BC and Toronto um, to be there. And she was laid to rest at Graceland in the meditation garden, which is also the final resting place of Elvis and Elvis's mother, Gladys and Elvis's father, Vernon and his grandmother, Minnie May. Uh, and also next to her son, Benjamin, who, who unfortunately um, passed yeah. away in 2020. But I don't think anybody knew what the event was going to be, but it turned out that Axel Rose did a surprise um, appearance. I mean, he, he never usually shows up anywhere except for on stage, but he performed November Rain. Um, they were friends for a long time. Um, the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan was there because they have been friends for a long time. Billy actually helped Lisa Marie uh, during her musical career. Alanis Morissette was there um, paying tribute to, um, you know, the only child of Elvis and Priscilla. Um, and, you know, look, I'm I, I guess I'm now a royal family expert because I read Harry's book and I finished watching The Crown. So I was a massive, <laughs> I was so surprised to see Sarah Ferguson. And, you know, if you've ever, ever thought, you know, rich people aren't just like you or I, like they were friends. In fact, um, Lisa Marie was one of the very few people that stuck by Sarah Ferguson during all of the mess of her divorce of Prince Andrew. So they were Really good friends. And uh, uh, yeah, and then the mourners got eight by 10 photos of Lisa Marie, which they all kind of wove in the air and uh, pretty, pretty wild moment. What do those and I mean, maybe not everybody, but it's a very eclectic group. What do they all have in common? You know, obviously friends with Lisa Marie in some form. There's a relationship there. But is there some sort of characteristic, you know, some character uh, scenario? Do they have something in common? What are your thoughts? 
I think that they would all be really good friends with Elvis Presley. I think that there's no way around mm. it that when you are when you are married to or born into the next best thing to royalty, which would be yeah. the Presley family in America, it's really hard to not ever forget that when people are talking to you and looking at you, especially when you're Lisa Marie, you, they are always thinking you look and sound exactly like your father. Yeah. And if you can get over that, and if the other person can get over that, well, then a friendship develops uh, and a good friendship develops. So I think part of it is just the amazement of that Elvis Bradley actually existed. But I think with Axel with Sarah Ferguson, with Billy Corgan and Alanis Morissette specifically, those are people that have been famous for a long, long time that have had the world spotlight on them. And if anybody would know what Lisa Murray has gone through for at least a short period of time, it would be all four of them. Yeah, good point. All right, so this happens just as Elvis the movie um, is nominated for various awards and such. Do you think there's a connection there? Um, it just seems to add to all this circus. No, I think that when you are going to open up a funeral to perhaps the general public, you and if and if all you have led in your life is a life of spotlight and celebrity and success, um, you can go one of two ways. The first is that you absolutely just close ranks, you have a private funeral, and then you do something public sometime down the road that might be a concert that's sponsored by Live Nation and tickets are four times of what you know they usually are. Um, or you just open it up now and you have people visit Graceland, you do everything that you do normally um, as a public service and as a public figure. Um, and as, as awful as this is going to sound, you have a star-studded memorial service at Graceland because Graceland still needs to make money. And yeah. I'm absolutely positive that in a morbid sort of way, that's what you do when you are a Presley. You keep the estate going, you keep the wheels turning. Um, she never really Lisa Marie never lived her life out of the public spotlight. So it would, it would be very strange to have a very private one instead. So this kind of didn't surprise. And of course, you know, yeah, the Elvis film is out. It's on streaming services so that, you know, everything helps everybody else. Mm. One of the many great conversations we have with Eric Elper, and we could have many more, and we will do that. Publicist music commentary. This time, Lisa Marie Pe uh, Presley, her, her service at Graceland after, Grace after passing away. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Good luck. <laughs> Th thank you. Thank you, Good Eric. I know you're thing. behind I'm going to be listening. I want to know right. what the story is. All right. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Be well. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. And here's somebody who has caught up to him. Uh, Lisa Pileski is with us, reporter 900 CHML. Uh, obviously, uh, the Prime Minister in the city, big day over the next three days for this uh, retreat that is going on. Spotted on Lock Street earlier today at the Burnt Tongue and such. Lisa Pileski with us now. Lisa, thank Thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Thanks very much, Scott. Yeah, I'm doing great. And uh, I didn't catch up with the Prime Minister as much as you thought you may think I have. So no. I was actually just out uh, just out on the streets uh, today. There was a big rally outside of where the, the Prime Minister and uh, the rest of the cabinet will be. Um, and yeah, that, that rally definitely got a lot of attention, uh, closed King Street for a little bit. And oh. uh 
So, so that's that was what I was checking out this afternoon, but I didn't get to check out any soup with the burnt tongue. So, honestly, to Lisa, you. Lisa, it's just a matter of time before it happens. I can just feel it. The planets are correctly aligning. Believe me, we're just a couple of steps behind this. So, obviously, whenever a uh, a leader or somebody of this stature comes uh, to town, there's going to be protests and such. Tell us what has been going on, and as you said, um, quite significant. It sounds like. Yeah, for sure. There were about 200 people, you know, like I said, they closed the, uh, they closed King Street for a little bit. They marched, um, from Maine down Summers Lane. Basically, this was, um, you may have been hearing in the news, it's about uh, standing in solidarity with migrant workers who are yeah. facing imminent deportation. And I know a lot of people have been hearing in the news recently about Chef John Mulwa, who has uh, yeah. uh, been in Hamilton since 2014, and he's uh, he's facing deportation back to Kenya, I believe on Saturday. He says his flight is 10 a.m., um, So and he's expected to have to go back, and he's, he's fearing for his life. He's concerned Concerned that if he gets back to Kenya, he'll he'll be killed. So so they're they're basically calling on the federal government and Trudeau to say you know to help uh, migrant workers and undocumented residents basically get status permanent resident status here in Canada. And I know this was something that the Migrants Workers Alliance said that he had pledged to do back in December 2021, has not done yet. So I think that now that all of the cabinet ministers are gathered in one place with the prime minister, it's prime time to basically get his attention and say, hey, remember you said this, so mm. we'd really like you to pull through because a lot of people are uh, would really like to stay in Canada and enjoy the freedoms that we have here. Man, there, you just forget about how many issues there are when it comes to uh, you know having a prime minister or somebody of that nature uh, in town. Uh, any, uh, What about an agenda in moving forward? Are there other protests planned? Um, is this going to be an ongoing thing with this group? Are there others coming? We haven't heard anything uh, further about this particular group and doing more protests. I imagine there definitely will be. Um, you know, this is a prime prime opportunity for people to try and rally mm. for their cause, uh, especially since I know the the uh, they've talked about uh, they're going to be talking about pretty significant issues that there's a lot of concern over health care and housing and cost of living. And we we know that Trudeau has, you know, when he he spoke with uh, Rick Zamperin from Good Morning Hamilton, basically said that Hamilton was chosen for this retreat because we exemplify a lot of these problems. You know, we've got we've got a, a serious affordability crisis here in Hamilton the cost of rent the cost of housing is just astronomical so I know I know that those issues are definitely being brought to the forefront and I would not be surprised I live downtown so mm. I imagine I will be walking by protesters uh, every day this week guaranteed and of course tomorrow morning after the 730 news uh, Rick Zamper will play that uh, interview on good morning uh, Hamilton what about walkabouts uh, an agenda or other functions going around on around town have you heard anything about that are they pretty much confined to to you know these meetings and, and that's it um, and again we're hearing the Sheridan, uh, they sort of confirmed that. I'm not sure if it's true. Is that where they're meeting? Is there anything else you can tell us about uh, what their agenda is all about or what their agenda, what their agenda is over the few days? No, so it, I did try and get a hold of an itinerary or agenda. It's being kept very close to the chest, so that yeah. I, I imagine that that obviously a lot of people want to know that information. Yeah. Um, I did hear that you know cabinet uh, sessions will be going. 
until where was it uh until about yeah 7 30 this evening so that'll be something that's happening at the convention center and um we know that you know they're going to be there all day tomorrow and uh and wednesday as well but it's really we don't know much else about the the specifics about what they're going to be discussing i know reporters are camped out all over the convention center trying to just keep their eyes on things so that's it's it's, it's all being kept very close to the chest in terms of what the government is actually doing and obviously you know for security reasons you can see why they need to do that um have you heard anything about and this is all speculation we're all just you know trying to figure it all out but do you do you think that he's staying in the hammer or do you think that you know because we got this airport right close that they've just given a whole pile of money to he's just whipping back and forth because he could be home in like 45 minutes Uh, I have not heard anything about that either way. And I feel like if I had heard something like that, uh, it would be one of those matters of national security where they would they would go after me if I said anything. So I I promise I don't know anything. I am not important enough to know anything. But uh, I am basically like the rest of uh, Hamilton, basically keeping an eye on downtown and uh, checking out to see, you know, what what kind of noise will be made over the next few days about, you know, the issues that Hamiltonian are really concerned about like i said affordability housing and health care yeah. these are all things that we really hope that the federal government um takes seriously and comes to some sort of concrete conclusions about finding solutions for us because you know we're obviously we're going through a lot here and uh yeah. hopefully they can uh, figure something out for us all right so um any like do you think it's gonna be tar- harder to get around downtown hamilton over the next couple of days can you see visible presence <laughs> will it be harder to get a table at a restaurant i mean any thoughts on the next couple of days can you tell that there's somebody here oh yeah there's just tons of police downtown i mean you know i you see normally there's always police around jackson square because it's yeah. jackson square but there's definitely an increased presence i don't know about in terms of restaurants being more busy i can't see that being an issue but um like we saw with the road closure this afternoon with king being totally shut down for about half an hour i think i think i would say if you have anywhere to go during the day um in the downtown core just be prepared for things that might arise because you never know (laughs) All right, Lisa Pileski following the Prime Minister for a reporter for 900 CHML and uh, keeping abreast at the, on the city streets what is going on and how it is uh, affecting protests and such that uh, always follow the leaders around. Lisa, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Great job. Thanks very much, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. All right. The, the whole idea, there's a, a retreat here, obviously, for the next three days. During the retreat, the prime minister's office said the prime minister and his cabinet will discuss ways to create good middle class jobs, ways to invest in skills and training and deliver better health care for Canadians, how to advance the government's work in fighting climate change, building a cleaner economy, including innovation, supply chain, strength and Canadian built clean technologies. Well, heck, what else do we need uh, to talk about all of this and what it all means and where we go moving forward and what we can hope to get out of it? Michael Veal with us, Professor Economics, McMaster University. He is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am. I hope you are, too. Excitement when the prime minister is in town. Your thoughts and, and, and uh, well, what are your thoughts of him choosing Hamilton? Oh, I think it's uh, great that uh, our politicians get out of Ottawa and get around and and see what the problems are in the rest of the country. Uh, on the other hand, that really long list that you you gave it sounds pretty daunting, and I don't yeah. know that there are things that the government can do about all those. 
All right, that was my first question. Is the answer here just to basically give us a check and, and some money back on taxes, uh, or is there another way to go about doing this? Is is it a case of uh, perhaps cutting back on a carbon tax or an accelerator tax that's coming up? Uh, what are your thoughts? What can he do? Well, I don't think that there is actually that much call for changing the carbon tax. I know there's different views about this and the people have different views about what to do environmentally. Uh, but if Canada wishes to cut down its carbon emissions, it has to do something. Uh, and if you look at it, the carbon tax is actually a pretty small part of, of what we're paying for a liter of gasoline. Uh, and it hasn't been the reason uh, for the increase that we had back in June. Um, and of course, it stayed the same and gasoline prices fell a lot. Uh, since June. And that's mostly got to do with world oil price. So that's one of the reasons I say that I don't think the prime minister can do that much about some things because part of what goes on uh, in our everyday life is not based on what happens in Canada, but it's what happens in the world. At the moment, uh, world oil prices are sloshing around in different directions and that affects us a lot. Many say that when we're in the midst of all of this, we can't do anything. They throw their arms in the air. They compare us to other countries, other places of the world. It's a pandemic. There's a war in Russia, invasion of Ukraine, all of that stuff. Uh, and, and I guess there's a certain amount of validity to that. But does it, I, I guess, suggest to whether you were ready before all of this happened or not? I mean, are, are there ways just to be more sound so when these sorts of world events happen, we can better react? Well, I think there's no question we weren't ready for the pandemic. Uh, I, I think that there were preparations that uh, uh, were not sustained after the uh, the crisis and uh, the earlier SARS crisis, and that was those preparations were not maintained. Uh, I do think that we have to think more about those sorts of things. Uh, I do think that when we make the sorts of extraordinary uh, measures that we did during the pandemic, such as the CERB payments, et cetera, we have to realize that there are going to be aftershocks, that you don't get something for nothing. Um, and one of those aftershocks is some of the inflation we've had. But of course, I don't think very many people forecast that on top of all that, we'd have the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the impact that's had on the economy. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, and I, I read the list uh, from the press release earlier on, how do you create good middle-class jobs? How do you do that? I, I actually, my own view is that the government shouldn't worry about that too much and, and let the economy do what it does well. I mean, one of the lessons we've learned from the pandemic is this was a pretty severe crisis um, and how fast the economy reacted. So uh, after a year after uh, the pandemic, the economy in terms of uh, output, in terms of income, in terms of employment was pretty much back to where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, and that's really pretty amazing. And it's not really because of government so much as it is because everybody figured out ways to do it. Now, it doesn't mean we were as well off because, of course, the pandemic has hurt our lives in lots of ways. But the economy actually bounced pretty well uh, back pretty well. And I think that's got to do with its flexibility. And the one thing we don't want government to do is to to, to harm that flexibility because that's how we get through. Um, lots of chatter now as we see our economy transitioning, we see energy transitioning, um, you, you know, uh, the, the business case for natural, liquid natural gas, we know where that discussion has gone, but that now has seemed to shifted to more mining related industries and our, and our raw materials and getting those natural resources, uh, to market or, or, or heaven forbid, even creating something, those products here, which will generate jobs. What are your thoughts on that? How much of our natural resources are going to play? here into our prosperity 
Well, Canada has always relied a lot on them. I think the I think you may be referring to some of the rare earths and and the, mm-hmm. the lithium stuff. And we we're going to have projects in that area. At the moment, it does not look like we're the going to be the the first choice of a lot of countries simply because we don't have proven resources of some of those things. Uh, but we do have some. And of course, uh, uh, nickel is going to be very important in the economy of, fu- of the future. So we need to, to I think, uh, as a country, uh, try to ensure that the people who wish to develop those resources have a chance to do it. Uh, but I'm not sure that there's a large role for government uh, to enhance uh, that that activity very much. I think that mostly we have to do is, is in, in this particular respect, get out of the way and let the private sector do what it does best. Michael Beal with us, Professor of Economics, McMaster University, where we are now with the economy and the Prime Minister's Cabinet Retreat right here in Hamilton. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. Yes, you too. Thanks very much. All right. It's very exciting. The Prime Minister is in town uh, already. Uh, we've seen the airport get uh, a nice little uh, arriving gift in, in I think about $47 million in the form of uh, new upgrades there. Let's bring in Henry Jasek, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He is with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am. I am. Have you talked to the Prime Minister yet, Henry? No, no. He hasn't called yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm expecting it. You know, he's gonna. He always calls you when he's in town and asks you for his advice, uh, for your advice. Does he not? All right. So, your thoughts that the fact that he is here, obviously, it's a great for Hamilton. It's exciting. We certainly got a, a nice announcement at the uh, at the airport and such. Uh, what are your thoughts on him arriving here, and and why Hamilton? Well, I think that there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, he and his father have always been well treated when they came to Hamilton, and taking um, the first time that Justin ran as prime, uh, you know, for prime minister, or uh, well, was leading his party into into the election, he uh, he had a very nice um, uh, uh, event in uh, at, at the uh, at the I think it was at the hotel, yeah, at the Sheridan, and he. Uh, he, uh, it was very, very, you know, it was the photograph, I mean, the uh, whole video of it was really great. And right after that, they, uh, a lot of his uh, ads included this because the people were so warm. And so, you know, really, on, they were just so happy to, see, you know, to hear him and see him. And so uh, he, he has, so he has a, a very fond memories, I think, of, uh, of being here. And he knows he gets a good reception here. So I think that's one thing. Um, and also, of course, uh, I think uh, Philomena Tassi is one of his favorite cabinet ministers. I'm absolutely convinced of that. So he's always, you know, he feels very comfortable about her, around her. And uh, she was walking around with him when he was walking on uh, King Street yeah. today. Uh, and that, but I also, on a, on a somewhat different line, but being very important, I think, and, and none of this, of course, would be in this press release, but, it's, but it's, there's two seats here that he has to really hold on to in the next election, and uh, that's basically uh, the Stony Creek, Hamilton East Stony Creek and, and the mountain riding. Uh, th- those are really... Those those writings have been a dogfight between the liberals and the NDP for the last 25 years. Uh, the liberals have them now, but they have them not by very much. So uh, he's got to make sure that those are the type of seats he needs. And, and also the fact that they're working class seats. So this, this could be then used to uh, influence seats in other places, whether Toronto or other places where you have essentially, you know, uh, work, working class and union people uh, in their in their writings. So that's that I think is, is also very important. How will the NDP position all of this? They obviously can't be happy that the hammer is invaded with liberal red this week. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they have to put up with it. They had to put up with his father who did it the same way. Uh, you know, the the best way the NDP can go against, uh, you know, help uh, go against him and get those seats back uh, that they had for, for quite a while uh, that I mentioned is that essentially they have to run good candidates. This is really an important issue for the NDP. Sometimes, and then all parties do this, by the way, they make mistakes on sometimes putting in candidates. And the NDP, uh, you know, uh, when they were doing doing very well about 20 years ago and taking these seats away from the liberals, they had good candidates, absolutely. Uh, and then uh, somehow they haven't, you know, the, the things got, you know, got out of hand. And by the time we came down to this election here, we were not really having strong candidates with a high profile and who, and, and people who, you know, with candidates who people could really relate to. So they, that that's really the important thing for them. Is to make sh- to make sure they've got good candidates. But that, so you know, the, once Trudeau is gone, you know, by the time we have the next election, probably two years from now, uh, his visit will be pretty much forgotten. But uh, while he's here, this is going to make everybody feel good. Uh, here for three days for the retreat. Obviously, uh, how much time do you think he'll spend with Mayor Andrea Horvath? Um, do, do you think that will happen? How much time, uh, or do you think it'll be like Scott Moe? Didn't even maybe maybe she's not even aware he's in town. I'm sure he she is. But <laughs> yeah. do you think they'll spend any time together? Uh, well, if he's smart, he is. I would assume he's smart enough to do that. Um, you know, certainly when Doug Ford comes to town, he spends time with Andrea. So yeah. I don't see why the Prime Minister can't do that. So what do you think? How do you think Hamiltonians are viewing this? Um, what do you think their their thoughts are? Because obviously their city is being placed front and center. Mm. And, you know, it's obviously great for PR for the city. We were talking to the Lock Street BIA about that. He was down there today. But how do you think Hamiltonians are feeling and processing all of this? Finally, good to get it, some attention. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they just feel, yeah. I mean, of course, we always uh, get upset whenever, you know, when all the goodies and all the attention is on Toronto. And, Mm. uh, you know, so anytime we can get uh, somebody like the prime minister or anybody important to come here or any entertainers or what have you, it makes us feel good because we do have that, you know, inferiority complex uh, <laughs> vis-a-vis the city of Toronto. So I think they're, they're I think uh, people will feel good that they have them here, and and I and uh, you know he'll try to create that and uh, that feeling and uh, and you know f- for some people who you know who are um, have voted liberal in the past, uh, they'll probably reinforce their their uh, vote in the next time around. But uh, there's still a lot, you know, there's still enough of a enough swing voters here that he's going to have to come in here during the election time as well. Henry Jasek with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University, the Prime Minister and entourage in town for the next few days having a retreat and, uh, you know, spot the Prime Minister. He's around. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, very good. Same to you. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. This project, which will cost close to $47 million, will allow the airport to handle increased cargo operations by improving and expanding airfield capacity, increase the icing capacity, and build new and independent road to reduce congestion there you have it the transportation minister earlier today at john c monroe international airport
like uh, 47 million in expansion costs uh, for them as they uh, just continue to improve what they're doing up there. I think he said the third largest uh, cargo airport in Canada and uh, now going to expand its uh, its service. Of course, uh, the Prime Minister and his entourage, uh, everybody in uh, Hamilton uh, for the next couple of days for a retreat. Uh, however, it was interesting when the Transportation Minister was answering questions and someone said, how come all of uh, the ministers and everybody are here in Hamilton, but their luggage is in Calgary? No, I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that have been funny? Uh, all right, let's bring in Marvin Ryder, professor at a group school of business, McNasty University. He is with us now. Marvin, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm great, thank you. Glad to be with you. So your thoughts, Marvin, on this expansion, we already hear so much. And, man, when you think about it, it's such a great combination to have, you know, uh, in, an, in a place like the greater Toronto-Hamilton area. You've got a massive airport like uh, Pearson, and then you also got another airport, which is largely focused on cargo. This is quite, um, quite the accomplishment for them. What about the expansion? What are your thoughts when you hear this? Oh, there's nothing but good news here, Scott. Uh, so let me put yeah. a fine point on it. If you were to rank Canada's cities – from largest to smallest, Hamilton is number nine, number nine on that list. But if you took their airports and ranked them, not on passenger volume, but on cargo, Hamilton is number three. Where are we in the order? The largest is Toronto, second is Vancouver, third is Hamilton, ahead of Montreal and ahead of Calgary. And it tells you then how important this is to this area, especially these magical things called supply chains. And this is one of the reasons why this money is being spent. As you remember, over the last couple of years, we've had problems with supply chains. In other words, getting goods to people in a timely fashion. And so let's put some money, let the government put some money to improve that. So again, another fine point on this, if you're a consumer and you use Hamilton Airport and you think, ah, they're spending this money to bring in more flights so that I can fly to Punta Cana or I can fly mm. to, to Mexico, no. This has nothing to do with the consumer side of the airport, other than maybe helping a bit with the icing during the winter months. But this is primarily to improve its cargo capabilities and thus improve those supply chains. However, the uh, uh, spokesperson for the airport did say the great thing about this is it just expands the size of everything, their aprons, their holding areas, which allows them to just simply accommodate more planes, whatever they're carrying. Correct. That's absolutely right. But also another important thing is the environmental impact, especially during these winter months. When you de-ice a plane, you spray a chemical called ethylene glycol. That helps too. It's the same stuff you use in windshield washer fluid. But the problem is, where does that go? And you can't just let mm. that splash into the environment. And so it's going to improve their capability to recover those materials, make sure they don't get into the environment, be treated appropriately. So there's an environmental side of this as well as a capacity side. I remember over the years, you know, there was it was always a challenge for this airport um, and, and sort of fell into the cargo business, I'm guessing, over the decades and such. Are you surprised it is where it is right now? No. And here's a key reason for it, uh, Scott. Hamilton's airport has no specific curfew, whereas the Toronto yeah. airport does. So after about one o'clock at night until about, I think it's seven in the morning, no planes fly overhead. Well, if I'm Purolator, if I'm FedEx, if I'm a, a company that has to deliver things and I work on a 7 by 24 schedule, having an airport that shuts down for a quarter of its day doesn't help me all that much. So if I'm the Blue Jays and I play a late ball game and I have to fly into an airport, I don't fly into Pearson. 
I fly into Hamilton because I know yeah. that airport will be ready for me. So this this is our key competitive advantage, something that we exploit, and that's why we've done so well. And it's also why these lands around the airport have been designated as growth potential to see other commercial businesses there. Now, again, I understand environmentalists worry about this, but I think this is a good use of this land around there. And again, it gets jobs, good paying jobs, other warehousing activities. This is not bad news for us here in Hamilton. So are you concerned that as this airport does grow and the whole area grows, that um, restrictions on flights, arrivals, departures, whatever will happen here? Or has it already they've already planned for that? The land is zoned industrial around it. It's it's a park. That's what it's for. Uh, Are you concerned this might change over time? Well, I think I'm always concerned because whatever happens is that there's pressure to change the zoning. So, look, why don't Mm -hmm. we build some houses here? Why don't we build some houses there? And land developers will suggest that people then buy the houses at a pretty good price. Why? Because they're near an airport and they're sound. So then the first thing they want to do is change the rules, get that airport closed (laughs) so that it's not as noisy where I am. And so we lose the competitive advantage. So this is something that has to be watched closely, monitored, and, and go accordingly. But I will tell you, again, trade port running that airport has been a great success story over the last 20 years. We don't talk about it enough. But I'm, I'm so thrilled with what's happening there. So you talked about the space in that area around the airport. We know what that's like. We've certainly seen how that has grown, especially with the link up there and such. What about spinoff industries? What does this mean for that business park up there? Right. So, again, what, something we've been trying to point out, and this, this isn't just me. There are lots of business leaders that point out that Hamilton is uniquely positioned to have three forms of transport. There's the water. We have one of the busiest ports on the Great Lakes. We've got the road network, whether you're trying to get into uh, the United States or take it into one of the big markets, Toronto, and we've got the airport. And so this creates opportunities in what we call logistics, the movement of goods between these different modes and to different markets and places. And that's a growing area for the for Hamilton. In fact, economic development lists it as one of its key strategic areas for future development. So again, this money that's being spent today, yes, it appears to help the airport, but boy, does it also help improve the Hamilton economy and sets us up to get more of this because logistics are only going to grow in importance over the next couple of decades. It's not going to ever decline. Will there be a point where this airport is solely cargo or will there always, do you think, be the effort to try to get passenger service out of there? Well, I think there's always the effort to get passengers out of there because that, again, is how the average person in the public measures the success of an airport. And a few years ago, I think we set a record with over a million people going through the Hamilton Airport. And then, unfortunately, some of the flights, say WestJet, what have you, were were backed off. We've seen some growth on this side. Just I think it was two weeks ago, Norwegian Airlines announced, I think it was Norwegian Airlines, announced that they were going to have flights from Hamilton Airport to Europe via Iceland. And so you would land, or maybe it was Iceland Air, and they're going to land in Iceland for a couple of days if you want to take a break from your trip before you go where you're going. And and so I think it's nice to have the passenger side, and it's good, again, to relieve some of that pressure on Pearson. But the key part of that airport, something that we never want to undermine, is its commercial potential. Marvin Ryder with us, professor at the Group School of Business at Master University, John C. Monroe International Airport, receiving a big boost today from the federal government to increase its cargo business. Marvin, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. I will. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word. David wrote in to say, Hello, Scott. I find it hard to believe that he's staring in the ha- staying in the Hamilton Sheraton since the rooms run around $5,000 below his standards per night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.